0: Well, today we're going to finish our message series, Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend. And uh, and so today, I'm asking for a friend, or you might be asking for a friend. What happens after you die? What happens after someone dies? Job chapter 14, verse 14. The Bible says if someone dies, will they live again? And that's the question that we want to know. If someone dies, will they live again? And I had a friend uh, as a singles pastor in Florida, and I had a lot of singles that were salespeople, salesmen, salesladies. And uh, a lot of different ones, some sell insurance, some were salesmen for, you know, just whatever. And I had one guy... That was in my single group, and, um, and he, he was a salesman. I said, Hey, so what do you sell? And, um, and he said, Well, I sell casket. I said, Casket? That's interesting. You, you literally go around and you sell casket. You knock on people's houses. And he said, Would you like to buy a casket today? And he said, Yes, that's what I do. And, I said, well, I, I, and then I had to ask the million dollar question. I said, do you have casket in your house where you live right now? And he said, yes, I have a couple. And it's just weird for me. It was just a little awkward that you had a salesman. I know there got to be out there, right? But I just never came across one. And I began to wonder myself what it would be like to be a casket salesman. You know, I can just imagine you coming into my house. And you you see my captain, and I I might might say, we like to try one, try to step on one and try one for size. You know, it might just be weird, but you know, you you let them climb into the casket, you know, and and you say, okay, you know, and then I might ask the question, what will it take for you to take one of these home today? You know, and ask that salesman, you know, ask that question, and and I could begin to think, and this awkward in my mind, a little creepy to be thinking that I guy might have some cactus. And I was like, remind me never to come to your house. Now, he only did it for a couple of years because I think he failed to have cactus parties. You know, people signed up for Tupperware parties, you know, and Mary Kay parties. Nobody signed up. Nobody signed up for the party of cactus, and then nobody would do that. Well, today we're going to be talking about death. And we're going to be talking about this stuff, and we're going to be dealing with this today. And a foundational truth that I hope for all of us to download here, because it's so important, if you're taking notes, here's the truth. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live today. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live today. Because tons of people believe lots of different things. For example, atheists, they believe that when death happens, game over. It's done. You become worm dirt. They're pushing daisy, Nothing happens. You cease you to exist. And if you're an atheist, that's what you believe and, there, you know, of course, if you're an atheist, you have no reason to live today because you have no eternal motivation. Others, they believe in purgatory. They believe that someone wants, you know, some people, when they die, if they're, you know, maybe they weren't so bad, but they weren't so good, and so they kind of get stuck in, in the middle. And so they go to purgatory, and, and people on earth will pray, pray, people out of purgatory. Some people, or Islam, they teach you that at the end, Allah, Allah will judge your sins. Judge your good versus your bad. And if your good outweighs the bad, then you're in good shape. However, if your bad outweighs the good, then you will go to hell. And so those things, is what Islam teaches. Some people believe in being an angel. If I die, I get angels' wings. And I'll fly and I'll play an instrument, a harp or something, and, and that's what I'll become. I'll become an angel. Some people believe that. Some people believe in reincarnation. You know, so when you die, you come back on earth into a different life form. You might be a person, you might be an animal, you might be a tree. He might be of well, some living organism here on earth, but you come back in a different format. You know, if you're really good, you come back in a real, you know, if you live a good life, you come back in a higher form of life. You might come back after death, you might come back and be an eagle, you know, uh, a real cool uh, bald eagle, you know, that majestic animal, or maybe a stallion. You know, you come back and, I mean, you're you're running in the Kentucky Derby, all right? I mean, you come back, you know, and that's reincarnation. If you've been a bad person, you haven't lived your end well, then you come back maybe as a mosquito, (laughs) cockroach, I don't know. I mean, that's reincarnation. So there are a lot of different ideas, a lot of different thoughts on what happens after death. You talk to people all across the country, all across the world, you'll get different answers about what happens after a person dies. Now, I just want to touch this real quickly here, but what does the Bible say about death? What do we know about death? If you want to take note, number one, death is certain. It's certain. There's an inconclusive I'm mean, not inconclusive, it's conclusive. A conclusive study that approximately one out of one people will die, okay? We are all going to die. Unless you're a believer and Jesus returns in your lifetime, you are going to die. Got a couple of verses here in Job 14, verse 1 and 2. Job says, How frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? We blossom like a flower, and then we wither, we die. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. Verse number five, Job, Job talking to God, he said, God, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. So one thing we know for sure is that death is certain. But here's the second thought. second thing about death is that the soul and the body separate. The soul and the body separate. You. I'm talking about you. You are not your body. The real you is the soul that lives within the body. The body is the flesh. The body is the, the outer covering. The Bible talks about a tent. The tent. And the real you lives inside of the body. And when you die, the body dies. But you, you are even more alive than ever before. Because your soul separates, and your soul continues to live. Matthew ten twenty eight. Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. They're two different things. And then he said, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body, in hell. So one day your physical body dies. But you, your soul, will continue on. Someone, when you die, someone will be making plans for your funeral. Don't be being planning for your funeral service. Another person will be making the the fruitful casserole for your reception. Meanwhile, you will be as alive as you've ever been. It's all happening. While we might be grieving, you are alive. The body dies, but the soul lives on. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus knows, and Jesus is talking about, your body's going to die, but your soul will continue to live on forever. So what do we know about death? For certain, we know that the soul and the body will separate. Hit number three. Every soul will live in one of two places, heaven and hell. Matthew chapter seven, verse number thirteen and fourteen. Jesus says in his sermon on the mount. This is like his invitation. He said, "Enter through the narrow gate." For wide is the gate and broad is the road that lead to destruction. Talking about those that will go to hell, and many will enter through it. But smaller the gate and narrow the road that lead to life. which is a reference to heaven and only a few will find it. Now, heaven and hell. I, I, I love talking about heaven. You know, heaven, man, you know, heaven is a beautiful place. Heaven is a wonderful place. You know, I love talking about heaven. Heaven is great. However, today, talking about hell, especially as warm as it is today, okay, but talking about hell, man, this is challenging. It's a challenging topic. I mean, I didn't wake up this morning and say, whoo, man, I get to talk about hell today. Because hell is a challenging, difficult subject. In fact, according to research, 74, 75% of people in our country believe in heaven. That means 7 out of 10 believe in a heaven. However, on the flip side of the coin, only 40% of people believe in hell. Four out of ten, 40% will believe in hell, where at the other end, 75%, almost 80% of people believe in the heaven. And it's almost like cafeteria-style Christianity. You know, we, we, we take what we like. I, oh, we, we, heaven? Oh, yes. Give me more heaven. I'd like to talk about heaven. Oh, hell? Let's not talk about hell. But here's the reality. Jesus, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He talked about hell, and, and it's important that we talk about what it is, because it's in the Bible. And so let's go back to our original question. What happens after I die? According to God's word... What happens? And here's two answers, according to God's Word. One of two answers. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible teaches that you will go to hell. If you don't know Jesus, you will go to hell. Probably the most common question that people ask is this why? does hell exist? You know, and truthfully, it's kind of tough to answer. You know, why would God, a a loving God, would allow a place, would create a place like hell in the first place? And the the fact that we ask that question, because I know a lot of us do. I know I have. You know, why, God, why would you create Play. And the fact that we ask that question shows a flaw in our human understanding of the holiness of God and the horrors of sin. Well, yes, we understand the holiness of God to a degree. And yes, we understand that sin is bad. But I don't know that we can quite comprehend fully to its full extent why Hell is this, and the horrors of sin and the holiness of God. But God can't be around sin; He has to separate from sin. And so, here's two reasons, biblical reasons, why hell is this. Now I'm going to do the best I can with this. But number one, hell is this for God to deal righteously with Satan and his demons. A lot of people that think, a lot of people think that. Satan is the ruler of hell. Uh, we have, uh, unfortunately, we have, you know, Hollywood. You know, we have, you know, the wrong idea of what Satan. We, we see Satan with a little pitchfork, with little pointed ears and a tail, and we see him dominating hell. And you uh, know, he's, you know, he he's loving hell. That's like his home base. And uh, we get this idea from movies and from television shows and from th- you know, from people's ideas. Of what Satan is all about. But that's not what hell is. Hell is not like his home base. Hell is his eternal punishment. Satan doesn't want to have anything to do with hell. Bible says in Matthew chapter 25 verse 14. Jesus says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil... And his angels. God prepared hell to deal righteously with our spiritual enemy, the prince of darkness, Satan, and his demons. Then number two, how is this for God to deal righteously with unbelievers? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. How is this for God to deal righteously with those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and put their faith in him alone? The Bible describes hell in so many different ways. The Bible describes it as a fiery furnace. The Bible describes it as a place of burning sulfur. It says in hell that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have no idea what that really means. But it's horrible. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place described as outer darkness. See, a lot of people that say, well, if I'm going to hell, at least my friends will be there. We'll play poker. No, we're going to play, you know, we'll drink beer. We're going to have a good time. But that won't happen. The Bible says that you will be isolated in the outer darkness. A place of fire and darkness combined and... Darkness overcomes the light of the fire. That's how dark it is. So it's dark. You know, you'll be around a bonfire, it lights up the area, illuminate the area, but in hell nothing is illuminated, but the fire in outer darkness. And you're isolated. And this is an eternity. Eternal punishment. Jesus told a story of a rich man And a poor man, the poor man was named Lazarus. In Luke chapter 16, I've got the verses up here. In verse number 19, I just want to read the story real quick. Just give us a couple quick ideas about the story. And this is another example of Jesus talking about hell here in the gospel. He said in Luke 16, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, which is another term for the word hell, where he was in torment, But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, there is a great chasm, a gulf, that has been set in place. I can't change it, Abraham said. It is set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then, Lazarus, and then the rich man answered, he said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they would not also come to the place of torment. So, I, I'd love to spend more time in this story, but I want to give it four quick lessons. And then I want to move on to, uh, to the opposite of hell, which is heaven. But four quick lessons that we can learn from this story. Number one, we need to acknowledge that the rich man was fully conscious. He was fully aware, fully conscious of what was going on. He wasn't in Soul sleep. He was in pain. His memory, by the way, was active. He didn't have amnesia. He, he totally remembered what was going on and what was his earthly life like. He was aware of the pain. He was conscious. He was hurting, not in a soul sleep. Here's the second lesson. His eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. He couldn't buy his way out. He couldn't beg his way out. He tried. but couldn't. Couldn't work his way out. It was done. His eternal destiny was settled while he lived on earth. And on the other side, there was no way out. His opportunity to change where he was going to go for eternity had expired when he died here on earth. Here's the third lesson. The rich man, he knew what he was experiencing was just. He knew that it was just. Notice he complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. He didn't say, man, this isn't fair. Nobody told me. He knew where he was, and he knew what he was getting. He complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. Here's the fourth lesson. The rich man pleaded for someone to help his loved one to know Jesus. He said, please send somebody. I got families. I got friends. Let them know that hell is real. It's a real place. Save somebody else. Please let people know. And I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus shared the story, so it's it becoming an alarm for those who are believers, to wake up and to know that hell is a real place. And we have the hope of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we have the rescue line to tell people, to warn people of a place that's real. I mean, if you knew of a cure for cancer, but you didn't tell anybody. If you kept it to yourself. And then people find out later, people will be totally upset with you. Now, you would, you would let people know the cure. If you knew that there was a bomb in someone's car, you knew about it. You would warn people to stay away from the car. You would find the people that were about to get in the car and say, don't get in the car. The car is going to blow up. People might look at you like, man, you're weird. What are you talking about? Listen "No, don't get in the car. I'm telling you, it's it's not good. It's going to be bad. It's going to blow up. I mean, you're going to be as real as you can. And you don't care because you know that that lives are at stake. And this is a wake-up call. And Lazarus and the rich man, I'm sorry, the rich man said, please tell people. It's almost like he's crying out to you. If you're a believer in Christ, hey, let people know that this is real. By the way, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, his last words hey, listen, you don't want to come here. You don't want to come here. Those that don't know Jesus, what happens after you die? You go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But here's the second thing. If you know Jesus, the Bible teaches that you will go to heaven. I believe when we get to heaven, we'll be shocked to see who's there and who's not there. We'll see a man who lied, deceived, and stole. And he'll be there. His name is Jacob. We'll we'll see a man who committed both adultery and murder. He'll be there. His name is David. You'll, You'll be shocked who will be there. And who won't be there. we we'll even meet a man who lived a life of crime and was saved a few minutes before he died. On that day that he died, he was nailed to a cross next to Jesus. Now, there was another thief on the other side of Jesus, and he saw Jesus, not the king of kings or the savior. He just saw him as a regular man. He mocked him. and say, hey, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of man... Once you come down from that cross and save all of us. But the one thief on the other side, he looked at Jesus. He didn't see a man. He saw a savior. He saw the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he said, hey, man, I have not live a great life. The, 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 the proof, the evidence that I'm on the cross is proof that I haven't lived a good life. But Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. Will you remember me when I die? Will you take me to heaven? I like to know you as my Lord and Savior. And Jesus responded in Luke. He said, today you will be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. What was the difference between the two thieves? What was the difference between the rich man and Lazarus? Two words. Faith and forgiveness. Faith. And forgiveness. They believe. They believe that God sent his only son Jesus. To die on the cross for their sins. And they put their faith. And trust in him. Not in a man. Not in a thing. Not in a religion. Not in a church. They put their faith in Christ. In Christ alone. They put all of their hope. And Jesus and they said, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. And that's the difference between the two thieves. That's the difference between the rich man and Lazarus. One has faith in Jesus and asked him to come into his life and forgive them of all their sins. And that was a one time, that was a one time transaction. It wasn't something that they had to do every day. It's not something. Okay, I gotta, I gotta get my church down so that I can get to Jesus. No, it, it was a one-time decision in Christ, a defining moment where I put my faith in Him, my trust in Jesus. It was a defining moment for that thief on the cross. That defining moment when he said, "Remember me." Today, Will you remember me when I die? That was his defining moment. He knew. He put his faith in Jesus. Even though he had nothing to show for his it life. In fact, he never got baptized. He, he didn't get saved and say, Hey, uh, guys, I need to get baptized. The baptism is not requiring me for salvation. The only thing that requires of salvation is faith and forgiveness. In Jesus Christ. In him alone. Well, let's talk about what we know about heaven. Because heaven is an awesome place that I don't know that we can quite comprehend. How awesome heaven is. And I'm going to do the best I can. To just describe the beauty of heaven. Here's what we know. Revelation 21 The second the last chapter of the Bible. The Apostle John, he is exiled, imprisoned on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea called the Isle of Patmos. He's the only Apostle that survived death by sword or by cross or by being burned. All the other disciples, the Apostles, for their faith in Christ and for preaching the gospel, they died. But John's life was spared, but he was sent to an island in the middle of nowhere. He was separated from his family, separated from his friends. He had stayed on this island for the rest of his life. And one day, is, God reveals a vision to John about what heaven is. And this is what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Let me just pause here for a minute. He, he, he noticed, one of the things he noticed, that there was no sea. You see, sea is a picture of storms. see is a picture of separation. That sea that he's in right now in that physical life has separated from his family and friends. He said there'll be no more sea. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more trials and troubles storm. I'll be reunited. It's just interesting that he recognized, hey, I saw saw a land with no sea. that's a good thing for him. And that's a good thing for us. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. What can we understand? I want to give us three heavenly thoughts. Three heavenly conclusions based on this passage of Scripture. Number one, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Following the return of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is coming back. Following the return of Jesus and the the tribulations and the thousand-year reign, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. We see that in verse 1. It said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth is passed away. It's gone. In Isaiah 55, verse 17, Isaiah said, God said, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so the new heaven and the new earth, what is that? And well, you know, there's a lot of ideas here about what a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, here's what I believe. What, what you love now, and this earth, chances are good that you're going to love it even more short of sin, alright, no sin, because the new heaven and the new earth will not have any sin. But you're just love everything even to a whole lot more to a whole nother level. I believe this, if you like golf, I and mean, we got golf players back there. Andre, you play golf, right? I see some golfers. And I, I like I like to play golf. Um, not very good, but I like to play golf. But I believe in the new heaven and new earth we'll be able to play golf. And I I promise you the courses it could be so beautiful. And the green fees, it could be so cheap. And partly one of the reasons why I'm not so good, because I can't afford to play all the time. If you let your garden, I believe that then you will, you will garden, and you will, pur- you will garden the most perfect garden. No weeds. Because the curse will be gone. I, I mean, anything you love now, I believe that we're going to continue on in the new heaven and new earth. Plus so much more. So much more. New heaven and new earth. There's a second heavenly thought here. God will do away with death, mourning, and pain. Can I hear an amen? Man, let's wake up. God, let, God will do away with death, mourning, and pain. Can I hear an amen on that? Wow. Yes. Verse 4 and 5, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things that passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Imagine it. Imagine it. Just, I know it's warm. So just help me. Just try to help me here. But imagine. I want you to think about what it is that hurts you the most right now. What it is that hurts you the most. Some of you got headaches. You get headaches all the time. In the new heaven, new earth, no more. Some of you, your back aches, no more. Some of you have arthritis. In a new heaven, a new earth, no more. No more, ever again. Some of you have sickness and chronic pain. The Bible says that it will pass away. Many of you, right now, you're worried. You're tense. You've got stressed about job. stressed about finances. You're, you, you, you're worried about trying to take care of your home. Trying to take care of your kids. You've got fights in your marriage. The Bible says, in the new heaven, new earth. No more. Glasses. Heronets. Heronet batteries. I don't have to buy heronet batteries. No more. At thirteen, oh, they keep going up every year, they're about eighteen dollars a pack. All right, every month, I gotta go find hearing aid batteries. Every now and then, I just run out, and I've gotta go deaf for a couple hours until I find buy hearing aid batteries. That will happen again. No more glasses, no more hearing aids, no more leg braces, crutches, pacemakers. All will be gone. No more. Think about this. Have you ever lost someone that you love? And the pain that it has in your loss, And you grieve. And you grieve. The Bible says that it will all go to pass. No more. For those of you who have been hurt, you've been burned by someone, you find it difficult to trust people, The Bible said there will be no more sin in relationships. You will be known, you will know, you will love, you will be loved in heaven. Think about this. No more poverty. No more kids. Babies dying today because they lack nourishment. No more disease. No more, no more, no more death. No more genocide. No more AIDS. Normal hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes. It would be gone. All gone. Imagine a world, imagine a world with all of this gone. Now think about this. Any tear that you shed, God will wipe it away. God will wipe it away here's the third point, and I think this is the most profound point as we wrap this up. God will dwell with us. God will dwell with us. But think about this. God himself, the creator of the universe, will dwell with you. And anyone that understands scripture, understands the supremacy of God, if you read a scripture, you understand, wow, that's amazing. And here's why. When you look at the scripture, no one looks at God. Nobody does. If you look at God, you couldn't handle it, and you would die. You can't handle his glory. You can't handle his goodness. When Moses said to God, to God, I just want a peek of your glory. I just want to see that God, God said, man, Moses, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. It will kill you. And, and Moses kept begging. And said, and so God said, okay, Moses, I'm going to cover your eyes as I pass by. And then at the last second, I'll let you catch the tail end of my glory because that's about all you'll be able to handle. In fact, once a year, the, the, the high priest, the chief priest, he was going to the Holy of Holies. And only he would be allowed to go in the Holy of Holies where God dwells, where God lives. And if you were not the chief priest, and you walk into the Holy of Holies, you died. And if the chief priest wasn't ceremonially clean, or if he did something wrong, he could die. And so they actually tied a rope around the chief priest's leg, just in case he collapsed. So that someone could pull him out of the holies of holies just in case he look at God the wrong way. I mean this is intense. And yet in heaven, the Bible says and this is absolutely heaven at its best, that you and I will dwell with him. He said in verse number three, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God Dwelling in places now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and this verse right here fulfills God's greatest dream because God created man in the first place to have unbroken fellowship And Adam and Eve came in, they had it, and they blew it because of sin. And ever since then, mankind has been severed. And yes, by salvation, God's grace, we have been restored. But at this place, fulfills God's original plan for man, where he can dwell face-to-face with you and I. Revelation 22, the next chapter, the last chapter of the Bible, verse 3 and 4 no longer will there be any curse because the curse is gone. It's broken. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servant will serve Him. They will see His face. You will see His face. And in that moment, when you truly see Him, your life will truly be altered because you'll see goodness You'll see it mercy. You'll see glory. You'll see it grace. You'll see all of its attributes coming together. You'll see everything. And all of a sudden you're gonna look at him and you're gonna say, Jesus, you are my redeemer. Jesus, you are my rock. You are my salvation. You are my righteousness. You are my provider. Jesus, you are my comforter. Jesus, you are everything that I've ever desired. You are God, you are Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rafi. You are God. You are everything. Jehovah, Jireh. You are the fire of God. You are my salvation, my sanctification. You are all that I need. And then you'll begin to worship. And worship. And worship. And worship. Because you are standing before the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Your salvation. And you will worship for a really long time. And that song from Amazing Grace, the verse, the words of amazing grace will take on new meanings. You know those words? It said, when we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And we'll be worshiping because God's grace is amazing. So what happens after you die? But well, the choice is up to you. And the choice to make it is now. God says, and the Bible, Bible teaches that today, today is the day of salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, you can know Jesus. You can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, and you die without, your, you die without Jesus, you will go to hell. Bars in your court. I pray that today you will make a choice. Many of you here, you are walking on that narrow road that leads to life. But there may be some that are on that broad road. You made a choice. Maybe you didn't realize you made that choice. Maybe you didn't realize that there was a choice to be made. And today, you know, today, you say, you know what? Today, I need to give my heart. I need to put my faith in Christ. I need to ask him to forgive me of my sins. And that's the difference. Between heaven and hell. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you that your word is true. And although it's tough to talk about some things, God is true. And God is my responsibility as a pastor to share the truth of your word. And it's our responsibility as believers and followers of Christ to share the message of hope the message of the gospel, the one people that there is a real place called hell, and that there's a real place of heaven. And God, I pray that we would do our part. I pray that we would listen to the cry of, of the rich man that said to go out and tell your friends, to go out and tell your family. And so God, I pray that we would do our part. God, I pray that today we will live based on what we know about death and eternity. I pray that it will help us live today, and how we should live based on what we know. And what we know is real, it's true, and it will be here before we know it. Because the Bible says that life is a paper. So God, I pray that today, if there's someone here that don't know Jesus, that today they will make a decision to follow you. God, if there's someone here that are a believer in Christ, and many of us are, God, I pray that they will go out and share the message, invite somebody to tell a story, to tell your story. And so, God, I pray that today decisions will be made. With head, bow, and eye, closed it says, God, you are talking to me. You are speaking to me. I'm here. You talk about heaven and hell, and I'm looking at it in God's word, and you're speaking to me. I'm headed to hell, and I don't want to go to hell, but today I want to make a decision. I want my life to be changed. I want to follow Jesus. I want to go after him. I want to live for him in this life and for eternity. I don't want to be separated from God. And Today, I want to make a decision. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And if that's you, the Bible says you simply have to cry out to him. And you can cry out to Jesus. God, come to my heart and be my Lord and Savior. You can do that right where you're at. You can pray a prayer as simple as this. And remember, it's not the word, but it's your heart to cry out to God. You can pray a prayer, and if you want to know Jesus, you pray this prayer. Say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. But God, today, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting my life into you, and I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to come to my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin, my past sin, my sin today and my sins in the future. God, today, I want to make a transaction, an eternal transaction, where you come to my life and forgive me my sins. And God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, and thank you for giving me a second chance to live with you forever. But no one looking around and says, God, I prayed, I prayer and today I asked Jesus to come to my heart. I'm headed to heaven because I prayed, and I asked Christ come to my life. I got things that work out in my life, and I know God will help me, but I'm not worried about the future. I just know at the moment. I ask Jesus to come into my life, and He said, God, I pray that prayer. No one's looking. I'm not going to make you stand. I'd like to know who you are, so I can pray for you. If you pray that prayer, no one's looking, but if you pray that prayer, you ask Jesus to come in your heart, will you raise your hand? Anyone in this room, say, so I pray that prayer. I ask Jesus to come into my life today. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you that we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus, that we have the hope of Jesus Christ. And so today, God, I pray that we will look to you as we are walking to heaven. I pray that we will do our part to bring others with us. In your name I pray, Amen.